I'm Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our uh, podcast where we talk about everything having to do with beginnings, the beginnings of ideas, the beginnings of companies, careers, and uh, maybe even a little bit of a look into the future. And uh, today I'm here with Austin Allred, one of the CEOs of uh, uh, our uh, portfolio, and uh, one of the companies that's really doing uh, extraordinarily well, Lambda School, both a great company and a great idea. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, I know you do this kind of thing a lot uh, <laughs> uh, because I've listened to some sure. of them. and On and occasion, on occasion. On occasion. And so I've heard the origin story. Uh, okay. But I feel an obligation that we have to sort of do the origin story. So, uh, and I've heard versions that emphasize there's my wife in a small town. Uh, yeah, I was going to say there's uh, there's multiple stories. It's, <laughs> and and there I life was. isn't as pretty of a narrative as, yeah. as the narrative you can tell. But, but so yeah. give us the unexpurgated story the of how unexpurgated you came story. to be uh, doing Lambda School and just what Lambda School does and all those basics. Sure. So we'll touch a few of the the different. I mean, like most things, there are multiple angles that you can come into it from. Um, so the, the, the multiple angles are for me, um, I it's, was, was living in a small town. Um, my wife's family owns a farm there, and we were just wanted to be near family. Um, so I was working remotely in rural Utah. Um, and... From there, I went on. I moved to San Francisco and was working at a company called LendUp here in San Francisco, working on the growth team. Um, and the the story I, I always tell is that it was pretty obvious that you could see the the disparity in opportunity that those two geographic regions had. The you know the the brilliant professors and people I was surrounded by in rural Utah just didn't have. I mean, those people would be highly sought after in San Francisco. Uh, but they didn't have the right training. They didn't have the right background. They didn't have the right skill set, and there wasn't wasn't anywhere for them to obtain that easily um, where they were. Um, and the part that I tell less often is, you know, working at LendUp, we we loaned money to subprime borrowers, so people that are generally speaking lower income, bad credit. Um, it's not always true, but um, you find like you find that it's really difficult for them to change their situation long-term unless there's a change in income. Um, so lending definitely, you know, it's a band-aid. It helps, you know, smooth rough patches. It's, it's a great thing that that's there, that they can get a little credit when they need it. Um, and most of our customers otherwise wouldn't be able to get anything. Um, but it still doesn't, you know, doesn't solve the problem. You're, you could still be back in the same place six months, a year later. Right. Um, and at the same time, I had a lot of friends with hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans after college working, you know, for next to minimum wage. Um, and, and saw a few of them go from making next to minimum wage to being, you know, working in software, working in tech, and um, completely life-changing, life-altering changes. Um, and just wanted to cause that to happen right so what you guys actually do is you let folks get the skills they need in uh programming without having to pay for it correct well they pay for it just after it works yeah Yeah. so if they actually get the job yep so so we train people to be software engineers and data scientists and ux designers 
um, but it's all it's all online and interactive. Um, you know, so it's a live course. Um, but we like as you mentioned, we we don't get paid until they have a job that's paying more than fifty thousand dollars a year, and then they pay a percentage of their income for a couple of years, and um, that's it. All right. Now, actually, uh, uh, there. This is one of those ideas we say sometimes that startup ideas pop up like mushrooms in uh, forest after the rain. <laughs> there are a lot of folks. Uh, this is something that never happened before. Correct. And then a couple of years ago, a lot of folks popped up with variations on this idea. Uh, companies needed coders. As you say, people needed work. Mm-hmm. College was outstripping the finances of folks. There were a lot of trends sort of pointing to this. Uh, but uh, one of the things that we found really attractive about yours is you're providing the service and the students don't have to pay till they get a job, but you actually found ways for the company to get paid much sooner uh, using that loan background. And, and maybe uh, if you don't mind talking about that uh, out in the open, talk about that some, because that was really part of what you were doing at Lambda that we found uh, uh, unique among all the others. Yeah, I, th- I think we can talk about this now. Um, but um, basically, you know, we were, we started out, so, so the, the longer story is we, we started out just a paid upfront school like any other. Um, and then we, as we talked to the people that couldn't join us, we realized that the vast majority of the time they just didn't have the cash, whether they physically didn't have the cash, they couldn't risk that much cash. Or it was it just not a wise investment. Uh, could be a lot of reasons, but they, they didn't have, you know, $10,000. Um, so we, we initially said, okay, if you pay us a thousand dollars up front, then you can pay the other $9,000 after you get a job. Um, and that, that's when things started to blow up. So, you know, normally we would, I think we 50 X the number of applications with that one change. And then when we got into Y Combinator, we said, you know, let's really go in on this. It seems a little bit crazy, but let's, let's give it a shot. Um, make it completely free up front. We knew we always wanted it to be longer. So we made it six months. Um, and yeah, basically rolled out the model we have today and the applications 40 X from there. So we were getting 2000 applications when we used to get one. Um, and so pretty quickly we started growing and we saw that we had all of this cash that was going to be worth something later, but we were cash poor today and we had to go, you know, raise VC or, or something. So we, we basically figured out how to sell some of the receivables that we were holding on our books at a discount. Um, and now we're kind of moving away from that model because we have enough capital that it's not something we need to do anymore. But that was pretty pivotal in getting things off the ground and getting revenue. Otherwise, it looks like you have to raise a whole lot of VC yeah. and it looks really nasty. Yeah, that was one of our concerns when we first started looking at this space. Uh, uh, and we could see the need and we could see the uh, uh, contour of what was going on, but it seemed to us that just that, here we're going to be folks doing a wonderful thing, getting skills to workers who are going to get a wonderful outcome, which is much better lifestyle and much better income. And meanwhile, the company is going to be sitting there for potentially months or years, and then the obligation of keeping track of all of these people and uh, getting money from them and all that in order to get off the ground. And it seemed... Uh, kind of perilous, and you had figured out a way to really get it going quickly and mitigate that risk. Yeah, it was it was a funny trade off because we knew, you know, that we were we were effectively lo- I mean, we were trading future dollars for dollars today, but at a, at a pretty sharp discount. Um, so it it stung in the beginning, but 
the alternative was go slow. Um, so we had competitors. I mean, really, at the time, there are, there are two or three of us that started doing something similar. We're the only one that's still around. Um, and they started with you know basically a model of let's train 20 people a year. Let's train 30 people a year because that's all you could afford to do. Um, but when they did that, they didn't recognize that you know if you're going that slow at that pace, you're not going to see VC-like returns. A VC is going to look at, you know, you've trained 50 students in two years. That's not interesting. Um, but you're also not going, if anything goes wrong at all, you're not going to reach sustainability. Because if if you have an 80% hiring rate one year when you're pred predicting 90%, or if you have a 5% default when you're predicting 1%, it all just falls apart. Um, so you're treading a really thin line and... Um, I, I don't think that's why those particular companies died, but I think as a, as a strategy, we were much more, let's, you know, we've got to figure this whole thing out from ground zero and it's going to take a lot of cash to do that. So let's get the cash that we need. Yeah. And that's, uh, exactly why we, uh, invested in you and it seems to have done what you hoped it would do. It's essentially a financial slingshot, uh, for growth and gives you a lot of optionality looking forward uh, as to, uh, whether you keep doing it or only do it if the terms are favorable or essentially become your own bank, support the students or whatever. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the funny thing about financial services is once you get to volume, then there are all sorts of options that aren't there when you're young and small and have, have no data, frankly, right now, you know, we know the percentage likelihood. We, we, we know what repayment is going to be. It might, there might be some volatility, but the day a student starts, right? So we can predict that, we can plan for that. In the beginning, we had no clue, right? We we didn't exist before. Um, so now, I mean, since it's you know started at the company a year and a half ago, we've raised forty eight million in VC, and we're in a good spot. Yeah. So let's talk about VC a minute. So you raised forty eight million in VC, and I've heard you in the past say, "I'm never going to do this again." VCs are the devil. <laughs> VCs ruined my last company. I. I had a, a an honest oribolus because yes. of VC. So uh, what happened in that company and why were you so down on VC and what caused you to change your mind? We appreciate it, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in the, the past company, we were a traditional VC backed company. We'd, we'd raised what was then a seed round of 500K. Now I don't, I don't even know if you call that a seed round. Everything, terminology, terminology has changed since then. Um, but yeah, we were going into raising what was then a series a, what would now be a seed round, you know, a couple million dollars. Um, we had a term sheet signed, we had paperwork done, we had paperwork signed. Um, and then the day we were, ex and so we were kind of, I mean, we only had 500 K to burn. So we were burning pretty close to the wire. Um, and the VC that was supposed to send us a check never sent the check mm. and you don't have, you know, you don't have money to like do anything about that. Um, you can't, and it's really difficult in the first place to go out and raise a round, especially you, you, you go out and you talk to everybody and you say, Oh, sorry, you know, we're going with this fund. And then two months later you come back and say, Hey, actually that fell through. That's not, not a good look. Um, did they at least call you and talk to you about it or did they just the ghost you and <laughs> in a big financial way? They, they had their assistant call. Yeah. Really? So not the partner himself, but his, his assistant called and so I was, yeah, it was, it was a crazy time. So we were up skiing. So it was, it was also December 23rd. 
Um, and we but were, of course. Yeah. Um, so I had the privilege of laying the entire team off on December 24th, basically, which is, I don't wish that on anybody. Happy um, Christmas, Mr. Cratchit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I'm up skiing with the family cause it's the holidays and got a call and said, Hey, uh, we're, you know, this company is just not the type of company we want to invest in. I was like, could you, could you tell me more? And they, they never told me anything more than that. Um, so I have no idea what actually happened. It could be that they didn't have money. It could, it could be any number of things. Right. right? Um, but yeah, so that was, that was it. Um, so after that I was like to hell with those guys, I'm never doing that again. I'm going to figure out how to bootstrap it and do things my own way and never have to touch VC. Um, then we got into Y Combinator. Um, and honestly I was like that $120,000 is all we'll ever need. And we'll just grow it slow and sustainably, and that's it. And then at the end, toward the end of YC, one of the YC partners sat us down, and we basically modeled it out. And we we had a financial model. I mean, that's that's what you do after you work at a lending company for a while. You just model everything, even if your models are wrong, you're still modeling it. Um, and basically said, okay, what is the dilution that we would expect in a seed round? Um, we were doing pretty well. We had, you know, 120 students enrolled in a few months and they were all doing well. And none of them had been hired yet because we didn't, none of them had graduated yet, but we, we proved that a, we could get revenue, um, when we needed to B, we could get students in the door. And so the only question remaining was, will people hire these folks? And that was enough of a risk that we could raise at a healthy valuation. So we sat down and said, okay, if we raise a few million dollars right now, what does that enable us to do versus what we can do right now? And will that growth offset the dilution? And it was just so clear that it would, it was, you know, a, a multiple above that. Um, so we said, okay, it's, it's the rational thing to, to go raise. And that's exactly the right analysis. And, you know, we're VCs, but we actually say uh, often in public and to companies in private that VCs are the second, maybe the third best way. Yeah, to raise uh, money. Uh, I spent a, a, a chunk of my career at Ziff Davis, a sure. company that was 100% owned by its founders, uh, entirely supported by cash flow. Mm -hmm. And that is a really sweet situation to be in if the cash flow is... If you can uh, do that. Yeah, do it's that. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> don't have to explain it to anybody. Don't have to... Uh, Nobody can uh, say no. Build consensus in that yeah. uh, way that you would have to with the different... Uh, investors and all that, but very seldom does it turn out to be the case. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just hard to do. It's hard to make a lot of cash happen with a little cash. Um, especially, and some of it is what your time frame is too, right? If you're, and I was worried that if we didn't build a brand and build something meaningful and impactful now, someone else might go raise $4 million and do it. And then they could crush us. Maybe that was founded. Maybe that was unfounded, but I mean, I look at the what we can do now because we have the resources and we have a network effect and we have scale. Um, I I would not want to be a small school trying to compete with us. You just right. I don't know how you do. Right. Well, that's one of the milestones that it's important for startups to get to, where you get you know at various points these flipping effects of network effects or unit scale right. or brand dominance or all of the above or center of an ecosystem 
um, all those make it harder for somebody to come in and uh, uh, and compete with you in the uh, near term. You know, I guess one of the other things we like about you, and I like just sitting here with us chatting, it's never made sense to me. I'm a logical person by training and, and instinct. Why so many companies, particularly out here in the Bay Area, crow about how much money they raised. Again, <laughs> we're VCs and we're here to help companies and we think companies need money to grow. But it's always seemed to me that the thing uh, companies should crow about is about how little money yeah. they had to raise because it's in our interest as early stage investors. It's usually in management's interest. Uh, I always say, if you want to be Bill Gates, own a 30-year company on the IPO day. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and raising a ton of money is just not going to let you do that. Yeah, no, that's that's totally accurate. I, I mean, VC is no offense. I, I don't think you would take offense to this, but it's a necessary evil, right? You you have to do it. Um, and you know, the flip side is, and you can still model it out today the same way we did when we were in Y Combinator, and say, you know, okay, we could raise a thirty million dollar Series B right now. What would that enable us to do, and what does the company look like if we do that versus if we? I mean, we didn't we've never been short on cash. Right. Um, but just the calculus was clear that if we raised, then the outcome would be more than big enough to offset the dilution. So, um, I mean, so we, we've also been able to raise frankly in a founder friendly funding environment and in a relatively frothy market, um, which, which helps, um, you can raise it, you know, I'd, think about the Airbnb founders raising at a $2 million valuation out of YC. Like that's, that doesn't happen anymore. That's not a thing. Um, well, it, it may be, but the, they were one of the hot companies out of YC. Now they would raise at a, I don't know, 10, $15 million valuation. Yeah, but those things are cyclical. It comes with the gray. Totally. There are ups, totally. there are downs, and it almost doesn't matter. Uh, uh, in the fundamentals, Trump, all totally. these things. If you do a really great job of executing with a really great team against a really great idea, yeah, it's like moving fast in a boat. The chop doesn't matter that much. Exactly. As long as, long as you can keep moving fast enough that the chop doesn't matter, you're you're fine. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's been a a little uh, heated I mean, uh, at the early stage uh, these <laughs> past uh, few years. Why Combinators probably actually had a little bit of uh, a hand in. Uh, uh, driving that too. yeah yeah probably i mean i i think if we were raising eight years ago we wouldn't have raised as much and we wouldn't have i mean some of it f for us is also we're in a very crowded market right there are 150 code schools out there um we have to create some distance between us and the other players um and yeah so anyway all that is to say you raise when you need to not because you can. Right. Yeah. And you raise to get to a milestone. So there's a lot of code schools out there. You're really well known uh, as a, an entrepreneur. The company's well known, which means you sort of have a bullet on your back or a, oh, yeah. a, a target on your back. Um, so what do you do about that now? What, what do you do about the fact that you're no longer the, uh, the underdog scrappy upstart, but now you're the uh, target for other scrappy upstarts? Yeah. That's a little bit new to me. Um, it's it's funny when we were first starting out, it was just like, man, if we could be as well known and as big as you know that school, that would be amazing. And now, you know, it's not. They're they're in the rearview mirror a lot of the time. 
Um, I think there's only one answer to this. I think the minute, and you know, I, I talk with the team a lot about in terms of playing offense versus playing defense. Um, and I don't know, like, I'm not a big football fan, but I've watched enough football to know that the minute a team goes into playing a prevent defense, they're going to lose. Um, and that's how I feel about it. The only way for us to win is to just keep driving further and further and faster and faster and just to make it such a good product and such a good experience for the students that other schools can't compete with that. Um, and for us, that looks like making sure there are hiring companies lined up, bringing them in to interview people, making sure the outcomes are solid. Um, you know, that's at the end of the day, that's what really matters. It doesn't matter how well known you are today. If the product is great, then you'll win. Yeah. Well, that's really what it's all about. I've heard you talk about the students in kind of a unique way. It, it, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you love them. And, and you love helping them, and, yeah. and you're driven to help them and uh, view them in a very different way than most companies might view users, uh, or even than most uh, traditional schools uh, might view the, uh, the student body. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you look at the great products that have ever existed, there's somebody somewhere that just cares a whole lot. Um, and I think we've been really lucky that we have built that in as a part of the culture of the school. Um, all of the instructors go above and beyond. All of us think all day about how to help the students. And you know, now we've got, I think on the instruction team, we've got 25 or 30 people. And when you've got 30 people thinking, you know, 100 hours a week about how to make the student experience better the student experience gets really good not surprisingly um and so you know alexis ohanian has talked about how you know the real secret of the winning startups is just to to care when other people don't um and some of that is you know i definitely feel an emotional connection to our students because I, i've been there right i'm one small decision removed from working at a gas station or something and i feel very grateful to be in the position I'm in. Um, and we can, I mean, when I moved out to Silicon Valley, I, I was homeless, right? Like I lived in a car. Um, so I know the kind of sacrifice and the kind of psychological torment and the, the stress that that causes. Um, and if I can relieve that for people that are, I mean, when I talk to our students, I just see myself, right? And I want to, to alleviate that. And I think most of our staff feels the same way. It's, it's funny, we've, you know, we're a school but we're a school filled with dropouts and misfits and rebels and people that just didn't, you know, some people have degrees, some people don't. I don't, I don't really care, honestly. Um, but we're a school filled with people that feel lucky to be where they are and that want to help other people achieve the same level of success. Um, and that's really fun. We, we've actually had a number of students now who got job offers that are higher than anybody on Lambda School staff is making. And that's that's just fun. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. A um, couple last questions uh, from a totally different place. Uh, so it's the middle of the night and you're in bed and you suddenly have a vision so stirring, so golden, so exciting about the future. You can't go back to sleep. What is it? 
What is it? Wow. Um, I was trying to think of what I would do, not what is it. Um, it's, yeah, it's some thing that makes it easier for our students to get hired or makes the experience of being in the school better. Um, and on the flip side, middle of the night, you're asleep and you have a vision so terrible, so scary, so yawning in its uh, import that you can't go back to sleep. What's that one? Um, it's either we're getting sued by somebody. I, I don't like, it hasn't happened to us yet, but I'm sure it's a matter of time. Right. And I don't know what it will be or how to protect against it, but that I'm sure that's coming and that terrifies me. Um, the other is, uh, yeah, I'll talk about that. Um, I am terrified of a student being so stressed out that they take their own life. Um, as you scale, the likelihood of that happening gets higher and higher. Um, and we have resources in place to help, but we've, I mean, we've, it's, it's a pressure cooker of an environment and people are, a lot of the students are already on their last leg. And so that's a real concern that I have. Um, yeah, it's got to be one of those two. Got it. Well, that's a big one. So how do you try and pick that up? We've never talked about that before. How do you get the signals that somebody may be getting into a dark and dangerous place? Um, so, so one thing people don't realize about Lambda School is it's very interactive. You're spending all day with a small group of people. You're talking with them all day. Um, and we can we can see it happening, and we can see cries for help. Um, we have um, people who are, you know, counselors on staff. We have student success people who are talking to the students all day. Um, a couple times we sent police to check on people or we've, you know, helped them get the help that they need. Um, it's not, not the funnest part of the job, but you, it's part of it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you, you just look for signals the same way you would look for signals with anybody else um anybody and, who cares yeah yeah and luckily students are surrounded by people who know how they're thinking know how they're feeling um but so the only instance where anything would happen would be if we just missed it or misinterpret the signals um and that's that's the reason it's terrifying to me because maybe there's something we could have done to I mean, obviously I'm talking about a theoretical situation. It hasn't happened, but regardless, maybe you could have done more and that, you know, usually that's not why people get into startups is to like have that kind of import. <laughs> you just want to like build a company and make some money and try to change the world. Um, so that, yeah, that side terrifies me. I mean, I think about that a lot with, you know, I talk to, you know, Airbnb, people at Airbnb or people at Uber or those, you know, companies that affect millions and millions of people like that stuff happens there at that scale. Right. It's, it is an, abs- it almost has to, you have it is an absolute, beings, so any population human beings, you're going to have a bell curve and right. It's an absolute certainty the edges of it. that an Uber driver will be murdered driving for Uber. Absolute certainty, just statistical certainty. Um, that's not fun, but that's, I guess that's a consequence of scale. Um, and you 
want to do anything you can to prevent it. And at a certain point, like what, what could Uber possibly do? Right. What could Airbnb even, I mean, or especially possibly do to prevent humans being unfortunately sometimes human, but yeah, so that's, I don't know that that doesn't keep me up at night, but I think about it on occasion, especially when there's a scare or somebody we're nervous about, or, I mean, you, you've got to realize most of our students come in very low income, very high stress border. A lot of them are living in or have experienced poverty. A lot of them come in with pretty crazy family situations. Um, so we're not, you know, we're not taking all the rich people. We're taking a random sampling of everybody and backgrounds make it difficult at times. Yeah. I have, uh, well, thanks for sharing that. I have family in Alabama and go down there pretty often. And I don't think folks on the coast really understand the impact uh, in some of the parts of the country of lack of jobs, lack of good paying oh, jobs. Totally. Uh, uh, Appalachian style impact, not because folks don't care, not because they aren't smart, not because they aren't willing to work hard. It's just not there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think what, why, what you're doing has potentially so deep an impact. Folks want to work. They want to succeed. They want to do well and feel as if in the evidence of their eyes is that the system is stacked against them in ways that they just aren't equipped to overcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that is a, in some areas, it's a rational viewpoint to hold. Um, and the, historically our response to that has been to try to shift it from the top, try to like, let's create jobs somewhere. Let's do something. Um, whereas now we have, we have an economy that's relatively developed. There are shortages in a whole lot of fields and they're well-paying, they're great jobs. Um, but we just don't have any mechanism to move people to those jobs. And I'm not even talking geographically. A lot of them, they don't have to move. They just have to be retrained. Um, and you know, I, you go out to the Rust Belt and, or Detroit and you see the evidence of that and it's dramatic. It really is. Um, so, uh, last question. So given what you just said, so are you in the code training business, the code school business, or are you in the business of, training folks and whatever's going to get them jobs. And if so, where might you go next? Uh, very much the latter. Um, so we, we view ourselves as kind of an economic clearinghouse. So we, we move people from where they are to the place of highest potential. Um, and of course, right now we can only do that with a tiny, tiny sample of people. Um, but we are uh, looking really hard at medicine right now. Um, I mean, basically, we look from the job market backwards. Where are the big shortages that need to be filled? And how can we take all the people that are capable and talented and help them get there? Um, so looking at medicine, there, there will always be things like sales and marketing. Um, the, the timing may vary based on a, a bunch of different things. Um, cybersecurity is one that we'll be launching very soon. Uh, that kind of falls within the tech realm. But, but yeah, I think, you know, 20 years from now, Lambda School has every every job out there, and we're just shifting people as quickly as we can to the place of highest potential. Great. And that's that's Lambda School. And and that's a, a great definition of 
education, what it's for and what it should be doing, in my view. Yeah, I mean, that's that's at least the sliver that we're going after, for sure. Terrific. Thanks very much. Great uh, to uh, get a chance to chat again. Wonderful ideas. Uh, we're proud of what you're doing. Uh, great success. And we're uh, extremely happy we had an opportunity. You changed your mind about venture and let a few of us in. <laughs> and we had an opportunity to be uh, investors in the company. Well, th thanks for having me. Sure thing. Mm -hmm.